In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Please be seated. I don't want to scare you with my first statement here today, but throughout my 20 years, I have been interviewed by 45-plus congregations. It's as if there's nobody else to call as a pastor in the synod. Inevitably, one of the questions that gets asked of me and virtually every pastor in the interview process is, describe for us your strengths and your weaknesses. Well, in terms of my strengths, I typically talk about things like this. I am a masterful complainer. I am one who likes to hold grudges. I am one who sins every day, and I'm pretty much an expert at it. I'm really strong with this. And as far as my weaknesses go, I don't pray enough. I don't take hold of God's word enough. I don't love God and my neighbor as much as I should. I love to complain, and so do you, right? Think about everything that we complain about. If I sat down with you today after church and said to you, hey, what went right this week? You'll probably have to sit there and think for about 20 minutes. Well, what did good go right this week? If I sat down and said, what went wrong this week? Oh, pastor, let me tell you how much. We are a people who love to complain. We complain about every little thing. We complain about our politics and our governments. We complain about our city. We complain about our neighborhood. We complain about every little thing. We complain about our health. I look at myself in the mirror and think, what have I done to myself? Why can't I lose more weight? Why did I end up with the hair that I don't have? And maybe, just maybe, we complain about this place, too. We complain about our fellow parishioners. We complain of the fact we just sang a hymn with ten verses. Ah, I got you all figured out. What a marvelous hymn it was, too. Because it lays for bare who we are. I'm going to give you something to complain about. Probably in a few weeks, the elders have decided to bring out a new form of bulletin. We're going to talk about it next week after service. And I'm going to be ready for you to say, I don't like the change. Complaining is one of those things that rapidly progresses off of our lips. You complain about the food in your house. There's nothing to eat. When you have an overabundance of food, that's probably expiring in your kitchen. We complain about the things that we have to wear. What am I going to wear today? How do I look in this? What are people going to think of me? We complain about our coworkers. They're not doing for me what I wish they would do. They're very difficult to work with. They're annoying. We complain even about our families. My kids won't listen to me. My husband tunes me out. My wife continues to speak to me about things that I don't want to do and that I don't feel like doing even in the future. 
Think of how much complaining you have done this week. And yet, think of where you live. You live in the wealthiest country in the world, not only in the world, but in the history of all mankind. Next week, there's a big event happening. I don't know what it is. They throw around a leather sack full of air. And one of the things that's going to be interesting that you probably don't know about is, is that the winning team of the Super Bowl, that's what I'm talking about, the winning team of the Super Bowl will have all of their hats and shirts and swag published for everybody to see and to buy. But do you realize over the last two weeks, these printers have been printing championship t-shirts and hats and everything else for both teams? What happens to all those shirts, sweatshirts, and hats and everything else? I'll tell you what happens. Because I saw this when I spent time in South Sudan. Those things go to Africa. And you'll see these people wearing hats and shirts and t-shirts from the losers of some championship game. We have no idea what this is, but the sweatshirt keeps us comfortable. How many of us look at our clothing and simply say, I wouldn't be caught dead in that, let alone we have set standards to say, okay, if this doesn't happen, we're not going to provide this to people. How many people in our communities and elsewhere could benefit from the abundance of food in your pantry? How many people in this world and even in our community could, have, could benefit from the abundance of money that you have? And yet we look at everything, our house, all of our possessions, our cars, why do I have to drive a car that's 13 years old with squeaking belts, I say? But I have more than one car. I have more than one car, and maybe you do as well. I have a house that's the biggest house I've ever been able to own before, and yet I've had my own problems, and what do I do? I focus on those things, and yet I have windows, I have a roof, I have heat, I have air conditioning, I have running water and all of those things. What you have heard today in our readings are really all about the condition that you and I are in. It's not just that you're sinners and you're bad and that you're always bad to other people and bad toward God. It's that you have been given so much, as we're going to say in a few moments, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Each and every day, you have been given. You traveled here in a vehicle on paved roads and made it safely. You have the ability to go out to brunch. Oh, this is a little dry. Oh, the service is bad. You have all of these things available to you, more so in abundance than most people throughout the world, and we complain. The children of Israel in our reading today from Exodus 17. This reading today happens right on the heels of them being brought out of Egypt. You remember Egypt? Remember Charlton Heston? 
performing all the plagues in the sight of Pharaoh. Yeah, it really happened. Ten different plagues against the ten different gods of Egypt. The Israelites were spared from all of those things. They were taken out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. They had a pillar of fire at night leading them. They had a pillar of cloud by day leading them. They had manna and quail that came down from heaven that was given to them. And then you see them today in Exodus 17. We have no water to drink. Moses, this is terrible. Our animals are going to die. And you have brought us out here to die as well. Think about Moses and he's saying, <laughs> you guys complaining to me. And the reality is, is, don't you guys remember what you just saw? The miraculous things that God has done, the miraculous way that God has led you in all of this. Haven't you remembered what these things are? Why are you complaining? It's just water. But water's important. 70% of our body's made up of water. And if we don't have enough water, if we keep dehydrated, we're going to get sick and we're going to die. And this is terrible because I have cattle and I have other things. And if we don't do this and don't have enough water, this is surely going to be bad. It's as if God is shooting off flares and red flags saying, Hello, do you remember what happened? And then Paul today, in our reading from 1 Corinthians 9 and 10, gives you and me a perfect idea of what life is about. It's a race. Ugh. I don't run, and I don't like races. If you think about running a race, the book of Hebrews later on says, let us run the race with great agony. Have you ever seen somebody who's running sit there and say, hey, how are you guys and everything else? No, it is painful. It is agonizing. It's brutal. Some runners will talk about hitting a brick wall and then they blast through it and they're able to make it. That's what Paul says your life is all about. Running a race. Let us run it with great perseverance and even in agony. Why? Because there is a prize at the end. And what does he say? Run the race that you may obtain it. I don't want to run the race. I don't like to run. I don't like to do this thing that God wants us to do. But you'll notice what Paul says. He literally says that you and I are athletes in this faith, exercise this faith. Train in the word of God. Train in the ways of prayer. Train in receiving the gifts that God has provided for you here. These things are not burdens. They're not even things that you have to somehow accomplish. These are the things that God is already doing in and through you because you have been baptized into Christ. You are part of the family of God. Today is Septuagesima, which is a fancy Latin term that just simply means about 70 days before Easter. Lent is in three weeks, not that I'm counting. 
But nonetheless, we take this short three-week period to prepare ourselves for Lent. Oh, Lent. That time where we have to be all sad and gloomy. Oh, Lent. That time where we don't sing the A word of Alleluia. Oh, Lent. Tomorrow is Ash Wednesday. What am I giving up? What am I taking away from my life so that I can act pious and holy over the next 40 days? These things are not about what you do. It's not about giving up cussing or trying to lose weight. The time of Lent is a time of spiritual exercise. It's a time of prayer and meditation and giving to the poor and the needy. And the last thing that we need to do is to throw that all onto you at a moment's notice. So these three weeks prepare us for Lent. And there are three ways that you're going to hear about one thing that God does for you over the next three weeks. It's all about grace. Grace, right? We have it on our name of our church. And today is all about God's undeserved grace given to you and to me. Today is all about God giving out grace to even the worst amongst us who complain. Jesus gives a parable of how the kingdom of God works. A master goes out to hire people in his vineyard, tells the first ones, go out and I'll pay you whatever you're owed. Then he goes throughout the day and hires more throughout the day, even to those at the very last hour. He says, hey, you, what are you doing here? Go out and work. And you'll notice that when it's time to be paid at the end, those who have been working all day have worked by the sweat of their brow. And those who worked only one hour probably spent 20 minutes filling out the application and whatever else went on and maybe got one certain part of the job done. It's fascinating because as payday happens, those who only worked an hour are first in line. And those who worked 12 hours are the last. And you'll notice a perfect example of our life here. The first who get paid receive a denarius. That's what the master said that they would receive. The last sit there and think, well, hey, maybe we'll get paid more. And when they get up there to be paid, they're given the same thing. Get it? It's not fair. We're going to call the union. We're going to call the government and say these are not fair wages for everybody. Rather than looking at the ones who only looked at an hour and say, well, thanks be to God provided for them as well. Ooh, eesh. I don't know, pastor. I don't know about that. Do you see how self-centered we are on ourselves? You see in the midst of our complaining and our belly aching that it's all about the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I? Do you see how we even take that complaining and let it bleed over to our families, our coworkers, and everybody else? Oh, this is a terrible day. Yeah, I'm right there with you. 
And yet, this is how the undeserved grace of God happens. God isn't caring about how much work you're putting into this. He doesn't care what board you're serving on or what title you have as a leader in the church. He doesn't even care if you're standing in the pulpit proclaiming the word of God. His grace is given out to all who are in need, to those who are undeserving. When your, parent, when your kids sit there and cry out to you, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I don't like this lunch, I don't like this dinner, I don't like any of these things, what do you do? You might complain about their complaining, but you don't stop feeding them, do you? You don't sit there every day when they wake up and say, well, how many chores did you do yesterday? Oh, you did the minimum amount. Okay, we will feed you today. Oh, maybe we'll add in some clothes as well. You give and you give and you pay and you pay and you do and you do and you love and you love because you love them. That is what your heavenly Father has given to you in Jesus. Jesus is not your boss. He's not even your master. He is your brother. And that should tell us that in the church, we are not working for some sort of business or corporation. We're not sitting here with business models of visions and values and everything else. We are a people who are sinful, who come in broken, broken by the world, broken by each other. We sit here and come in here today, even with our complaints. Ugh, service went till 11.15 again. I can't read minds, but I know. Leave your watch at home. <laughs> we come in with all of these things, and God says, have a seat. I will forgive you. I will love you. I will not give you grace according to what you have done. I will give it to you because I have sent my only begotten son to, to bear up your sins, your complaints, and your burdens, and he has taken them to the cross. He has buried them in his tomb so that you might have life, light, and salvation. The reality that I want you to think about today is even in the midst of all of our complaining, our grumbling, and all of the things that we are just super disappointed about, as a Christian in this place, you are in the Lord's vineyard. What does a vineyard produce? Wine. Where do you use wine? At a party, at a celebration, at something to rejoice over. We are in this vineyard where God has laid before you the meal of eternal life, where bread and wine become his body and his blood, and as you come up here today, you are no different than the people of the Exodus or anywhere else. You come with your complaints, you come with your grumblings and your disappointments and everything else, 
And Paul reminds us, I want you to know that our fathers were all under the same cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized in the Moses and the cloud and the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Christ is following you. He's walking beside you. He's walking ahead of you in all of these things. And, Moses, and Paul is simply sitting here saying today that even the chosen people with Moses complained and grumbled, and yet he was there in their midst, giving them undeserved grace. And the same is for you and for me. So as you leave this place today at 11.20. Think about your complaining. Think about your grumbling. Think about your list of negatives and positives. I would even dare say, do that at the end of each day. What happened that was positive? What happened that was negative? And see how long the list can be. I breathed oxygen today. Put that down. I didn't get the stomach flu today to put that down but in the midst of all of those things if your negative list is three pages longer than your positive list repent ask God for forgiveness ask God for a change of heart and he will grant it to you even though we do not deserve it because his son was the one who scorned was scorned by the world his son was the one who took on all of the grumblings and the complaints, and was not received, but he did it all with you in mind. You are his joy. You are his prize. You are the one that he goes to great lengths and to the greatest work so that you and I may receive the cup of salvation and be called his brothers and sisters in the family of God. For he will never complain about you or grumble about you, but he will once again seat you at that family table so that you may taste and see that the Lord is good to you. To Christ alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>